It's just after midnight, Monday, May 9th, 2022. You are listening to another edition of the Midnight Ride podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. We'll start this special edition with a call to action. Hope everybody's loving our show. And if you do, please share it with your friends. Send them the link. Give us a five-star rating. Grassroots marketing, word of mouth is the best way to spread this show. And with that, Paul, it's kind of like a special Mother's Day edition. How was your Mother's Day? It was great. We had um, Mother's Day is always kind of a weird time. So obviously, and I don't know how you think about this, but how is how do you treat Mother's Day? So your wife is the mother of your children, right? So that's obviously a big Mother's Day thing. But then you also have your actual mother. Well, you hope. So who? Well, you hope. You hope. Yeah, you hope. Not everybody does. I mean, some people's moms have passed away. Depends on your age, all of that. I still have my mother. She's in great health. I have, obviously, my wife. Then my kids have their mother, who's also my wife. And um, who takes the priority on the Mother's Day there? Is it, if your mother's still alive, is it your mother or is it your wife? Do the kids take the lead with your mother? Do you do it? You know, I've always, that's always been kind of an interesting Mother's Day thing for me is to, is dividing that up. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And I'd also love to hear, maybe it's a good Twitter poll. I, I, our listeners love to hear how they spend Mother's Day. Yeah, this is up on Twitter now at Midnight Ride Pod. You can follow us on Twitter at Midnight Ride Pod. What is your priority for Mother's Day? Is it your mom or is it your wife? Uh, in our family, I have to say, and I'm probably not getting any points with my mom, but it, but it is my wife. And, and I encourage the kids to make her cards or whatever. We try to make a good day of it. But unfortunately, I, I think I can say that, sadly, I, I probably should do more for my mom at this time. But, you know, she's she's out in California and I'm, you know, quite a ways away. Yeah, sometimes it's hard in this situation. And oftentimes you feel like you can you can do no right by anybody, right? If you try to please everybody. But Mother's Day is a special time for family. We spent it that way. And I've even seen some interesting Mother's Days happening in places like New York and California. I, I actually saw a California Mother's Day afterbirth abortion special. Are you a mother and you're just sick of your child? Well, here in California, we can abort your seven-year-old kid all the way up to 18. It's your choice. If you don't want to be a mother, you don't have to be one. You know, I, I even I even saw Marriott having like getaway abortion specials. Get a free abortion with your massage if you come to California. You're kidding. Uh, uh, you are kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> a lot of our listeners, Paul, knew that this was going to be the topic this week. You know, it's it, it was Mother's Day on Sunday, and now here we are discussing the sacred institution of motherhood. And, you know, I'm going to get probably angry and a little emotional during this show, as as will you and many of our listeners. But what you're talking about there is, you know, a significant segment of our society that not only believes in, I'll use their terminology for a second, I'll humor them, a woman's, a woman's right to choose, but it's gotten to the point where in the last couple of years, you've seen women saying things like, we want to shout our abortions and almost celebrating it. And whether or not you believe in, you know, the right to have an abortion or not, I think most of us can acknowledge that when you make that decision, it's a horrible thing to have to do. You are killing a human being. And I think some people just don't even see it that way. They see it as a parasite or, or whatever. Well, that's, 
the thing that's been hardest for me during this is to see that in all of the discussion on both sides of the political aisle, there are people talking about murdering of the unborn. But I see this big argument about the Constitution. Is it allowed? Is it not allowed? Is it in the Constitution? Is it not in the Constitution? What amendment? And people are just ignoring the fact that this is a legal issue with an actual countervailing party. You may make your choice, but then you're killing a human being, an unborn child that is now having their opportunity in life stripped away. And you and I have very different views on abortion. I, you, since I've known you, you have been staunchly pro-life, and I respect you so much for that. And I've had a little bit more of an evolution, which I can explain a little bit. But why don't you talk about your longstanding views on abortion and what, how, how they came about? We'll do that in a second. I just want to, in case you've been living under a rock for the past week, just to recap, early last week, I think it might have been Monday, somebody in the Supreme Court for the first time ever, we talk about precedent when we talk about the institution of the Supreme Court, somebody leaked a pre-decisional opinion on this Mississippi abortion rights case, which essentially, with Justice Alito in the lead, would, and again, this is not an official decision, it hasn't been issued yet, but it would overturn Roe versus Wade. And the and Justice Alito wrote that essentially, and Paul, you might have the words, Roe never should have happened. It was, you know, an abomination. It was unconstitutional. And in the five days, in the seven days since, it we have gone from the president and the vice president and many others in government. Senator Schumer and others, it's basically coming out and saying this is wrong and, and stirring up the mob. And over the weekend, outside the homes of these five justices, you had people shouting and, and, and basically the mob pressuring them. So that's where we are. We're going to talk about all that. My views on abortion. I just think it's important to, what I want to really do is tell the listeners that we've got, you know, there's so many different views on abortion. I mean, some people think that it's straight up murder under no circumstances. Some people believe if you risk the life of the mother, some people believe in cases of rape and incest. Some people believe in first trimester only. Some people believe in infanticide on the far left. So that's the beauty of our federalist society. And Connor and I have very different views on the issue, but we both support what the Supreme Court is looking to do with this. I do. And I think that's that's what's key. So I just I just wanted to get your views on it and what what you think about abortion. About abortion, just what are your views, Connor Coughlin's personal views on abortion? Well, Connor Coughlin's views have evolved. I mean, I think as a young person, and you have to understand, we're both men. Men have a different view on it than women. But, you know, for the longest time, I guess I sort of bought into the idea that, well, I guess, you know, it's it's a very personal choice. It has to be devastating for most women to have to make this choice. But, you know, there are a lot of irresponsible men out there. There are a lot of people who are involved in relationships, sexual relationships, out of convenience. They have no intention to procreate with these people, sort of our hookup culture or whatever. And the burden is not on the man. That was sort of my thought. Now, there are cases, and I feel for these men where they want to go ahead and have the kid. But again, it's the women's right to choose. And and so 
you know, they, they lose their child when they didn't even have a vote. But for the longest time, I sort of felt like I don't really care about this issue because I would never be in that situation. I would never get involved with somebody that I didn't intend to, you know, have a child with. So I didn't really care. But then I had kids and that really changed my view on things. I really started to feel like people, as it, as it happened with me, their lives would be changed for the better. I also, the, the sanctity of life became driven home a lot more for me. I, I still, no matter what, believe that no woman should be forced to have a child if she was raped or, you know, coerced by a family member, incest, rape and incest. I think that could be a lifelong trauma. So I don't think that should happen. But uh, some people even think that, you know, that from a horrible event, there could be, I mean, it's not the child's fault, but my views have evolved to the point where I, I am pro-life and I see a society where there are a lot of people who are incredibly narcissistic. It's their life. They don't want to have, you know, their life derailed by having to care for a child. And I just feel like that is wrong. And and it's not good for society. I mean, we have come, we have eroded a lot morally as a society, and that's really affected all of our institutions where you just have people who are only thinking about themselves. So I went, say, in my 20s and 30s to being agnostic, and I, I would never vote on this issue. I don't, a lot of people only vote on this issue. It's not in my top five, but I went from being agnostic to being definitely pro-life. I've taken somewhat of a my path's been a little bit different. So I grew up, I think as many of the listeners out there know, and we've talked about, I, I grew up in a very liberal household, extremely far left. Uh, not, <laughs> it, it would be horrifying to, to many of you out there. I mean, my mother was going to the, to the women's marches, happily wear the pussy hat on the head, the burning bras, Worshipping Gloria Steinem in the 70s. I mean, the viewpoint was all about women. Nobody else matters. And you just do whatever. It's just all about the woman. Having kids is like a sideshow. Uh, I even believe that I was an accident, an accidental child. And, and had I been aborted, there would be no Paul Runyon, which would I think the world would really be missing out. Wouldn't you agree, Connor? Oh, I, I, I do think that I do think, and by the way, I, I was, I think I was an accident and I know my older brother was an accident. Um, my mother, my mother was a teenage mom. You know, she would not have had my brother if, if this option, I, I mean, I don't think she ever would have done it, but. And I know your brother, I, your brother is a great guy, a fine American and, and the world would be a worse off place if, if he was not here. And so, so I, grew up in this environment and it was a very, very pro-choice. And I had this opinion. I mean, by the time I got to college, obviously we're partying, you're doing it's crazy, lots of debauchery at a big state school. And my view was, I mean, who cares? I, I could just get a girl pregnant. She'll get an abortion. What does it matter? Lock the door to the studio, Paul. I don't want Mrs. Runyon walking in during this. I know, I know. <laughs> I locked the door. I locked the door. Don't worry. <laughs> so, so we, what does it even matter? And, and, and that was just my viewpoint. And it was, you don't think about the fact that there's a, another uh, unborn life there. But isn't that how young people are, right? You drive fast, you, you don't take any precautions, you think 
the world as your oyster. And in many cases, it is. It's a very narcissistic viewpoint. And I think as elders, we have a responsibility to educate young people about that. And it's no different. It's no different than any other type of, you know, you should go to college. You should go. It's be, have good behavior, be accountable for your actions. And I think that is an extremely important thing to teach our young people. And the problem now is in this narcissistic society, we don't teach that. And something happened in my life and the life of friends that we have that really changed my viewpoint. And my wife has a friend, this was uh, many years ago, who uh, she was 42 years old, still single, still no children. Life is about her career. She really has just lived the life and that she didn't want to have kids. She didn't want to do anything, which, which is fine. And she had a one night stand. She got pregnant. She debated for months and months and months. She got an ultrasound. She saw the heartbeat. She knew the gender. Everything was healthy. And at 20 weeks, she decided to get an abortion. 20 weeks after seeing all of that. And I really had this experience. I mean, almost to come to Jesus experience where I just said enough is enough. This is murder. She's murdering a child. Yeah. And I cut off the relationship. I couldn't talk to the person anymore. I just could not look at it in the same way. This, this is a successful woman, somebody who is healthy, someone who would have been a great mother and decided to kill a child that was really could have been viable outside the womb at that moment. And I just, I lost it. And that, that changed my view. Yeah. And here's the, what we call this, the, uh, you know, the part the section after the book where, where, you know, we find out what happened later is that, you know, this guy doesn't even remember her name. He's gone. She goes on to be CEO of her corporation or whatever, and she dies alone. And there's no, there's no one to pass on a legacy. And, um, after killing that child, was it a boy or a girl? Do you, do you know? It was a boy. After killing that little boy, uh, you know, she may not be heading to the uh, eternal afterlife if you believe in those things. I might have reevaluated the relationship myself, Paul. I mean, this is, it says a lot about somebody that they, and, and, I, and I'm with you, like, you know, some people just want to live their lives and maybe they want to have a, have a cat instead of a baby. They don't want to deal with it. Or 25 cats, maybe. Yeah. I've, <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing that more and more though, where people are, you know, they just don't, don't want to have children. And I don't know if that's because they don't want to bring children into this world, the one that we're living in, or they just can't handle the responsibility. I see married couples that are very happy to not have kids. And, and, you know, again, that's a personal choice, but once, once you feel that heartbeat, once you, you know, have a viable, a living organism, a living human inside you, you know, and we've heard the left describe an abortion as, oh, it's just a clump of cells or, whatever the case may be. But, you know, for all of these people who, you know, sit here and Justice Jackson on the Supreme Court, I'm not a biologist. I couldn't tell you what a woman is. Well, a biologist would tell you that that is a human being inside of you. Uh, 100% is. And if you're a married couple and you don't want to have children, as you said, that is great, but then take the proper precautions. And if you screw up, you have to live with the consequences. It's not, we don't live in this risk-free world. If you're speeding a car down the street and you accidentally, you know, going way over the speed limit, you run into somebody, you kill them. 
you can't just say, oh, I, you know, I didn't mean to, to do that and I'm fine. I mean, you're going to get charged with vehicular homicide, reckless driving, whatever it is. And this is a similar situation. I mean, people have to be accountable for the consequences. And this is a discussion we have to have in this society about being accountable, taking responsibility. I mean, the whole country is falling apart because everybody just is so entitled now. I agree with you, Paul. I mean, you know, our, our listenership sort of runs the gamut from ages 18 up to about 70. Most of them are in the, you know, 35 to, to 49 range. And listen, I mean, I don't know that all of our listeners want to hear a couple of 40-somethings, you know, proselytize about morality. But the, the fact is, you know, both of us probably didn't give this a lot of thought until these events happened in our lives. And even though it didn't directly affect us, we are noticing a trend. The majority of children that are born are born now out of wedlock. And we've slaughtered 60 million babies or so since the Roe versus Wade decision. But beyond that, there's this, you know, societal decay that comes from this narcissism and the narcissism and the self-entitlement, the indulgence. I think through our both our both of our own experiences, for some of our younger listeners who may be sort of living the life as it were, you might already sort of be feeling how the emptiness that comes with that, because it, it really is. It's, it's not fulfilling. And, you know, if you end up in one of these type of situations where you have to make this horrible decision, this can stay with you for the rest of your life. And so, you know, I just, I feel for everybody involved, but, you know, some of these women who've had to do this and, and maybe your, your wife's friend hasn't batted an eyelash since, but a lot of women, they regret it forever. They really do. And the other sad thing that we haven't heard been talked about throughout this whole debate is adoption. And that is always an option for women that don't want to have a child. You can go through the pregnancy and there are millions of people that want to adopt babies, people that are unable to have children for certain reasons, survivors of ovarian cancer, people that just have fertility issues, people that just have a feeling that they want to help society and they want to adopt children that, that don't have parents that want to take care of them. I mean, there's waiting lists of up to five years to adopt children. And the fact that there's that demand there for adoption and yet women are still aborting children, I think is a real travesty because if you don't want a kid, that's fine have the child and let that child be raised by parents that, that really love them. And that way we are still giving people opportunities. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Not only are they still having abortions, but some people don't want to have the child themselves. And so they rent out the womb of another woman. You know, they do the, well, they can't have the child themselves in many cases. They can't carry it, so they have to have a surrogate. Yeah, they do the surrogate, which sort of monetizes, you know, the body of somebody else when they could just as easily adopt. Now, I understand the issues involved. You want to have somebody who's biologically, you know, your own. But again, those millions of kids in orphanages, my father was one of them. My father was adopted out of an orphanage. Thank God, you know, my grandparents came in there. But I mean, and all these leftists too, you know, they always talk about caring about children of color, but you know, a lot of these kids slip through the cracks because they don't get adopted. 
So there's a lot of kids that need a good home and the foster system is a mess. And there's a lot of kids that end up having really tough lives because they don't get adopted. So a lot of issues here. Let's get to the case because I think there's a lot of constitutional issues. And, you know, people who understand, Paul, a little bit about stare decisis and and precedent will say the Supreme Court is about to take away a constitutional right. Didn't they rule, what was it, 1973, that this was a woman's constitutional right? What's going on? Well, what they did was they they viewed in 1973, the Roe versus Wade decision said that abortion was implicit in the right to privacy protected by the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which the 14th Amendment was really done after slavery to give freed slaves the control over their own bodies. Because if you remember during slavery, they were just, slaves were treated like animals. They were bought and sold. It was horrible. And this was done to correct that, to make sure that those, that type of behavior was never done again. And that people would have control over their own bodies. It it was really never done around abortion. So that was one of the key pieces. So what I wanted to do quickly. Did abortion even exist back in, you know, 18? It did. It did, actually. It did. So, I mean, I, what, I, what I'd love to do is, is giving you a Paul Runyon history lesson, right? We like to do this. Let, let me just real quick. 14th Amendment basically says that all persons born or naturalized in the U.S. are subject to the jurisdiction thereof, are citizens of the U.S., and no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the U.S. of life, liberty, or property, or due process. So basically, this is basically saying everybody has equal protection under the laws. The states cannot take those rights away, right? And that makes it a federal thing. Exactly. It makes it a federal thing. But how it's, it's a big stretch to have that translate to abortion. I mean, that's because you're, you're, the argument was that someone else, which is this baby, is using your bodily fluids and your, your body to survive, and it's your body, and you shouldn't have to agree to that. If you and what the Supreme Court said back in 1973 then, essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, is that no state, because again, this is, no state can ban a woman's right to to have an abortion. So they're basically essentially saying that it is a constitutional right to do this. That's what they said in 1973, apparently, as you're saying, due to some sort of privacy provision. Exactly. All related around the 14th Amendment, which seems to not, it definitely seems like a stretch. So I went to our good friends over at History Channel, great channel, love seeing all the old like World War II and everything. They did an analysis of the Roe versus Wade case. So to give people a little bit of history here, so until the late 19th century, abortion was legal in the U.S. before what they called quickening, which was the point at which a woman could first feel movements of the fetus, typically around the fourth month of pregnancy. So there were some early regulations related to abortion that were enacted in the 1820s and 30s. So you can see how far back this went. And it dealt with the sale of dangerous drugs that women use to induce abortions. So despite the regulations and the fact that the drugs proved fatal, they continued to be advertised and sold. 
So in the late 1950s, the American Medical Association, which was brand new at that point, began calling for the criminalization of abortion, partly in an effort to eliminate doctors' competitors, such as midwives and homeopaths. So things were just, this was a different world back then. So, I mean, we're talking 170 years ago. There was also some uh, people that were really alarmed by the country's growing population of immigrants, and they didn't want abortion because they feared declining birth rates among white American-born Protestant women. In 1869, the Catholic Church banned abortion at any stage of pregnancy. In 1873, Congress passed the Comstock Law, which made it illegal to distribute contraceptives and abortion-inducing drugs through the mail. And then by the 1880s, it was outlawed across most of the country. Um, Still a state issue, though. Still a state issue. So, in other words, back in the 19th century... How would you even know if you were pregnant before the quickening? I, Paul, I guess, I guess if you well, you can miss your period, you miss your period for a month. I guess I don't have any personal experience with <laughs> with a period. There may be other men that all, apparently now that do get periods. I don't know where the period comes from and <laughs> can have children, but but they may be able to speak more on it. But. So there is a month or two in between, you know, uh, where you know that you're, you're not having a period and the quickening, I guess. Exactly. And so women were taking drugs, essentially. Yes. Okay. All right. And that, that seems kind of dangerous. Okay. Got it. Exactly. So in 1965, in 60s, this is when the women's rights movement started. So there were a bunch of court cases that sort of laid the groundwork for Roe v. Wade. So in 1965, the Supreme Court struck down a law banning the distribution of birth control to married couples, ruling that the law violated their implied right to privacy under the Constitution, once again, 14th Amendment. In 1972, the Supreme Court struck down a law prohibiting the distribution of contraceptives to unmarried adults, In 1970, Hawaii became the first state to legalize abortion, although it only applied to residents of that state. So you couldn't go to Hawaii and get one. The same year, New York legalized it. And then by the time of Roe v. Wade in 1973, abortion was also legally available in Alaska and Washington. So when when Roe v. Wade started to happen, it was only four states where abortion was legal. So this all started with a woman in 1969 named Norma McCorvey. She's a Texas woman in her early 20s, and she sought to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. She had grown up in difficult, impoverished circumstances. She had previously given birth twice and given up both children for adoption. So at the time of her pregnancy in 1969, abortion was legal in Texas, but only for the purpose of saving a woman's life. So after trying unsuccessfully- We both agree that that should always still be available. Uh, I do agree with that. Um, Both of us do, and I think the majority of Americans do. Uh, So after trying unsuccessfully to get an illegal abortion, she was referred to a couple Texas attorneys who were interested in challenging anti-abortion laws. Both women, Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington, were the two Women And in the court documents, McCorvey became known as Jane Roe. So there wasn't really a real name. It's like instead of Jane Doe, it was Jane Roe. Now, yep. Now, Henry Wade 
he was the district attorney of Dallas County, where Norma McCorvey lived. And this was actually the same person who prosecuted Jack Ruby, who killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, so really interesting, the, the connections there. So in, in June 1970, a Texas district court ruled that the state's abortion ban was illegal because it violated a constitutional right to privacy. And Wade declared that he'd continue to prosecute doctors who performed abortions anyway. So it was eventually appealed to the Supreme Court. Norma McCovey gave birth and put the child up for adoption. On January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court, in a 7-2 to two decision, struck down the Texas law banning abortion, effectively legalizing the procedure nationwide, despite the fact that only four states had it legal at the time. So in a majority opinion, Justice Henry Blackman, well-known longtime liberal on the court, declared that a woman's right to an abortion was implicit in the right to privacy. What it did do, however, was it divided pregnancy into three trimesters, and it declared that the choice to end a pregnancy in the first trimester was solely up to the woman. In the second trimester, the government could regulate abortion, although not ban it, in order to protect the mother's health. Interesting. I've never heard, I've never heard this trimester. I know. And I don't think most Americans even know this, including me. So in the third trimester, the state could prohibit abortion to protect a fetus that could survive on its own outside the womb, except when a woman's health was in danger. So that's that's how it ruled in 1973. Isn't this interesting to, it to is. go back down history and, and read all of this? And I think that explains too that a lot of the states have some of them have passed, you know, late-term abortion bans and there's heartbeat laws and, and you know all these things. And a lot of states have basically now they've got laws teed up that will become triggered if Roe is to overturned. Many states will immediately ban the practice. I think it's 28. I think it may be as high as 28 states. And, and just to point out, I know everybody's heard this ad nauseum. If Roe is overturned, it will not ban, it will not ban abortion federally. It will go to the states per our federalist system. Just real quick, this notion of privacy. Essentially, the court said that if somebody wanted to kill their own child, they could do it and you know, the state couldn't infringe because I guess it's a private matter. Well, boy, that could go a lot of different ways. I could do a lot of different things in the privacy of my own home that- I know, could you, could you like murder somebody uh, that you don't like as long as it's in your own home and it's private? Could I murder my three-year-old child? Could I- That's only in California after birth. <laughs> could I run a, a, you know, a meth lab here? I mean, this is my private business. I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's a little bit cynical. I, I want to take a, a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to examine the racist origins of the abortion movement, the current debate around what's going to happen in all of these states, and you know some of the hypocrisy coming out of the left that's coming up next on The Midnight Ride. Welcome back to our next segment and final segment of The Midnight Ride. Once again, we are having these long flow conversations where we just keep going and going. And the beauty is on a podcast, we can do whatever we want. So we're, we're doing two segments again. So this is our final. But we've gone through the history of abortion. Everybody knows about the Alito opinion and this, this right to privacy. There have been reactions from all over the map on this. Uh, you had people, as as Connor said, protesting the homes of the Supreme Court justices. 
just yesterday. Spokesperson Jen Psaki refused to condemn that and just saying that people are passionate almost sounded like she was encouraging people to. Oh, they absolutely have been. Yeah, to to protest these Supreme Court justices homes. And uh, I feel like the Constitution and uh, our republic is going off the rails a little bit with this. But what's even more alarming is corporate America's response. In fact, I hate to talk about Tesla because I love the company, but I read something about it. And I guess they're just one of many other companies. They have now implemented new rules where they will be paying employees expenses to take part in a medical procedure that is not legal in their home state where the company will then essentially pay for them to travel and pay the expenses associated with having an abortion going to another state where it is legal. And that I found to be, that was very alarming to me and is just endemic of companies getting involved in woke politics. Well, I saw that. I saw that. And that's, that's unfortunate. First of all, I, I, I absolutely hate that, you know, and we, we talk about Orwellian language all the time, but I absolutely hate that they call it healthcare. You know, abortion is healthcare. Ab- abortion is, is not healthcare. Unless it's threatening the life of the mother or something. Unless it's threatening the life of the mother, it's not. But they call it reproductive health. There's nothing, you know, you're not helping somebody's reproductive system by ripping out, you know, by putting in a, a, an object and ripping out a, a, a child's skull or, or whatever. That's, that's not reproductive health. So Tesla, let's call it what it is. But I was encouraged to see that some advertising and consultants co- companies sent out a, an email. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have the citation here, but I did see that one prominent company said, hey, let's be careful here. Because as we have seen recently with Disney and other companies, Bright has awakened. And I think some companies are going to be hesitant and are going to sit on the fence on this one because they don't want to invoke the wrath of the right. And also, you know, I think the reason that this was leaked and when it was leaked is an act of desperation. The fact that the Democratic Party came out immediately with statements that seemed coordinated and orchestrated very much aligned with one another. It seems as though somebody went to the Democratic Party headquarters and, you know, they went to the Death Star and they, they all kind of said, yeah, we got to leak this. And you saw emails coming out from the DNC immediately saying, we're going to fundraise off this. You know, this is our big thing for November. This could backfire because you still have the uh, albatross, you know, of Joe Biden uh, around the Democratic Party's neck. and the Republicans are already energized. And listen, people are very passionate about this on the right. You know, we can talk about the pro-life march that the media never covers, but there's always, you know, hundreds of thousands of people there on that mall and nationally millions. So I, I think corporate boards should take very, you know, they should be very cautious about this because they could lose business on on this as well. So Let's talk a little bit about corporations and what are their motivations as well. As somebody that previously owned a business, we are very respectful of women. We support women having families. Of course, they go on maternity leave for a long period of time. It can be disruptive to the business, of course, but that is just how life works, right? You want to encourage motherhood. We it's want the to- price of doing business to have good, good employees. It's the price of doing business. But if you're a big corporation, it's a lot less disruptive for you to send a woman 
to a three-hour procedure to get an abortion and then come back right back to work the next day than it is <laughs> for a woman to carry a baby to term, to then go on a maternity leave. You've got to fill that role. There are expenses involved. Um, you the Companies pay uh, disability insurance. They provide paid maternity and paternity leave. That impacts the bottom line. And I have got to think that What an excellent would, point. No, and I would rather, I think that companies would rather have women get abortions and keep working than carry this baby to term and face the financial consequences. And this is another piece that nobody talks about. But I've seen it from the inside. I've seen the way people think. I know it. Your perspective as a business owner is very much appreciated. I've never heard that talked about. What an excellent point. I mean, Tesla or any other corporate corporation, we care about you. We're going to pay for you to fly to California to terminate that pregnancy. And in the process, they save having to pay pay a new employee to cover the paternity, the maternity leave. They save the healthcare costs. They save, you know, all of that. So, you know, this isn't benevolence, it's convenience and it's sort of bottom line driven. Remember, every company has a fiduciary, especially a public company, has a fiduciary responsibility to increase value to the shareholders. And you are increasing value to the shareholders by paying for women to have an abortion. It's just the way it is. And you're decreasing value to your employee because their lives will not be enriched by the child. Of course, they don't, they don't think about that. Let's talk about more hypocrisy. Our favorite fake journalist out there, I think she's with MSNBC, possibly NPR, Yamish Alcinder. Oh, geez. Do you know, she, oh, gee, I know, I've heard stories about her. You know, she was calling Republican people that had worked for Republican legislators. This was many years ago. I think, was I can't remember. There was, it was during the Me Too movement and the Democrats were getting caught up in everything. And there was this guy, I guess it was like Todd Aiken or something that had, I can't remember all this. It was a long time ago, but she was literally calling Republican staffers, trying to find Republican uh, members of Congress that had harassed women or raped women because it was just looking so bad for the Democrats during Me Too with Al Franken and and others. And her goal was to make the Republicans look bad. So this gives you an idea of... She's a total partisan hack, but listen to the And, and Yamiche Alcindor happens to be black, okay? She was on MSNBC and she said, women who are poor, women of color, will be forced to have pregnancies that they cannot afford to terminate and pregnancies that will then turn into children. So she was essentially saying that you know, wealthier women and, and wealthy white women will be able to travel to California or Oregon or New York or someplace, and they will be able to have the abortions, whereas, you know, black women will be forced to have children. Now, the pregnancies that will, quote, turn into children. Oh, my God, the horror of that. Well, listen to this. Uh, everybody sort of knows this, but Planned Parenthood's founder or co-founder, Margaret Sanger, this is early 19th century. In, she helped found Planned Parenthood in Brooklyn, New York, okay, leftist haven. And, you know, she talked about the need, you know, she was part of the eugenics movement, which was really big in the 20s and the 30s. And she wrote that this is the founder of- Can you explain eugenics to people? Yeah, I'm going to give the quote because I think it, it explains it quite well, but then I'll kind of try to summarize. So in 1921, the co-founder of Planned Parenthood wrote, quote, the most urgent problem today is how to limit 
and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. If you've ever seen the movie Idiocracy, where you see, you know, the two yuppie tech employees, you know, 30-somethings, talking about now's not the right time, you know, we can't have kids now. And you see the Bubba, the uh, truck driver, you know, the beer gut, and they're they're reproducing like minks. The idea of eugenics is that we should reproduce, we should, we should discourage reproduction of people who might be, you know, mentally defective or ethnically inferior. It's sort of the idea that we should promote a master race. And Sanger herself, you know, often spoke to the women's auxiliary of the Ku Klux Klan, and she a proponent of the Supreme Court's decision in 1927 of Buck versus Bell, which allowed states to forcibly sterilize people who were deemed unfit. So we can sit here and talk about the Supreme Court all we want. The leftists will say, you know, hey, the Roe versus Wade. Wait, so that, I, assume that's, I assume that's settled law and precedent now? You can't change it? Stare decisis, sterilizing mentally ill people. Well, I think it has since been overturned, but you know, there are many, you know, you can I mean, do, I didn't know you could overturn Supreme court cases. I, yeah, I thought yeah. that settled law was settled law and that was it. Well, this is our constitutional <laughs> rights. But you know, the fact of the matter is the people who, you know, love abortion and you know, the people who the democratic party, the pe people who brought you slavery, the people who brought you reconstruction, Jim Crow forced sterilization, Currently, 88% of Planned Parenthood mega centers essentially target women of color. They're all in communities in the inner city. A preponderant majority of abortions being done are on, to use the leftist term, black and brown children. So all of these, you know, Nancy Pelosi and all these folks are sitting here fighting for the rights, but what they're really doing is they're killing off an entire generation of black and brown kids. And which is in turn preventing those communities from growing in society, having more of a voice in politics for their own future. They, uh, it's, I mean, if you think about the birth rate of African-Americans, you look at how it stayed 12% of the U.S. population and it is shrinking as a percentage of the U.S. population. The only reason for that is abortions because, I mean, in places like New York last year, you in New York last year, for example, you had more black children aborted than born. Yeah. And one might say, hey, you know, you're sitting here saying, well, the Republicans, they don't want a world where, you know, black and brown children, you know, the country is getting browner and they hate that. Republicans are perfectly content to have, have these children born. They believe in this. And the Democrats, again, these are the people who brought you slavery, Jim Crow, and, you know, they're pushing abortion. It's almost by design, Paul. They don't want these children born. Uh, exactly. And I, I don't know if that's by design or if it's just pure narcissism. And in many cases, I put true narcissism above all else and that everybody just thinks out for themselves and that's the way they think. But whether it's intentional or not, this is a byproduct that is, that is hurting minority communities it is hurting the population growth of the United States. It's going to hurt the long-term competitiveness of the United States. It's going to steal the livelihoods of, of millions and millions of people. The next Elon Musk, the next Bill Gates, the next Larry Ellison, what have you, could 
could be coming. I mean, look at Bill Clinton. The guy grew up in a trailer, you know, in an abusive household and in the, the, the area that people are like, well, he wouldn't be brought into a good life. I don't want to have this child because we're too poor and it's not fair. And, and this person, uh, Bill Clinton, growing up in Arkansas in a trailer, became president. Yeah, we have this new you know, Republican nominee for the Senate race in Ohio, J.D. Vance, uh, who wrote the book Hillbilly Elegy. He's in that Phenomenal you book. You may have seen that movie. So yeah, I mean, every, everyone you kill is a potential future president, future astronaut, whatever. But regardless, I believe that the ghost of Margaret Sanger is still going around Planned Parenthood headquarters. And I believe that the left doesn't care about these communities. And it's all designed to, you know, further their political power because without this issue, they've got nothing, you know, and that's, they're desperate. That's why they're encouraging people to stand outside Brett Kavanaugh's house. And these people are just beyond shameful. I mean, this is, they're going to hell, Paul Schumer. They are, Connor. And, and this is, I mean, what's even worse about this is the money involved. There's so much money in abortion and abortionists, doctors that perform it. Planned Parenthood gets so much federal money from abortion. I mean, if these money is, a, is driving this as well, because there's such an economy around abortion and these, these organizations wouldn't exist. So if you're the head of Planned Parenthood, your livelihood's at stake if abortion is illegal and, and you're going to be looking for another job. Yeah. Now, your opinion on this has evolved. Mine has evolved. They've changed. I think we've gone in the right direction. But another guy uh, who's gone in the wrong direction is our president. Now, President Joe Biden himself, he, for the longest time in his early po political career, said, you know, he, he was a Catholic. I don't think he can say with a straight face anymore that he is a Catholic, but he still does. And, and Jen Psaki, you know, she'll be gone, thank God, at, uh, on Friday. But she says that he's a Catholic all the time as to try to inoculate him from criticism on this. I'm sorry, Mr. President, you don't, you don't get that. You're going to be criticized. When he was coming up from, you know, as a senator in Delaware, he said that he could not vote in favor of pro-abortion legislation. He, he thought it was wrong. Then he became one of these, well, safe and legal, but I don't ever want to see it happen, which should be rare. And now he is, he's jumped in with both feet. He is fully pushing uh, abortion. I mean, this, uh, the, the hypocrisy is unbelievable. To evolve the other way as you get older is crazy. So he, in 1973, voted uh, as a senator uh, against to overturn Roe v. Wade and, and said that women do not have the sole right to say what should happen to their bodies. And that's a quote, quote, the sole right to say what happens, what should happen to their bodies. And uh, he said, quote, I don't like the Supreme Court decision on abortion. I think it went too far. And he stressed that he was really, quote, quite conservative on most issues and said, quote, I don't think that a woman has the sole right to say what should happen to her body. That, I mean, can you I mean, even this is, this is another example of, you know, I remember when, when Biden won the nomination. You know, I was very worried about a Bernie Sanders, uh, as were the elites, right? I mean, they did not want to have this, you know, the same people who brought you Occupy Wall Street. They did not want their beloved Democratic Party uh, putting that guy there because they would have had to go for Donald Trump. They were very happy to get Joe Biden in there, and they essentially picked him and got everybody else other than Bernie to drop out. And since then, we have seen the guy that, you know, he was sort of this lovable idiot 
Joe Biden, a nice guy. Everybody kind of liked him, but we have seen him abandon every ten, you know, every premise of moderation, and he has gone far left on all of these issues. He has, and what's interesting here too is that what nobody's talking about is that we we are in this constitutional republic. So, if Congress passes a law to secure a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy and the life of an unborn child that and the president signs it, then that is the law of a land through legislation. So they can do that. That can happen. The, what's the, what Roe v. Wade was, was Supreme Court essentially making a law, making up all these things about the trimesters. Essentially, it's, it was a, a law made by fiat with no, no input from Congress or uh, the president or anything. Uh, the Supreme Court did it in a vacuum. So if if they want to to make abortion legal, Congress can pass that law. But until then, it is given to the states, and the states now have the right to do with what they want. And that is the beauty of uh, a federalist society. So, regardless of your view on abortion, my view on abortion, Gloria Steinem's view on abortion, or Jay, Joy Behar and Who- Whoopi Goldberg's <laughs> view on abortion, that is the experiment of our constitutional republic that different states can do what they want. And I think that's what's amazing about the country. And Biden immediately called for that, Paul. He said, hey, send the send the bill to my desk. I'll sign it. One problem. They've got the majority in the House. They've got they've got enough Democrats in the Senate. But two of them, West Virginia's Joe Manchin and Pennsylvania, will not vote in favor of that. So real quick, I just want to discuss. We have seen the Democratic Party first under Majority Leader Harry Reid get rid of the filibuster for judicial and and other nominees, right? So they could ram people home through. At the time, Mitch McConnell said, be careful what you wish for. Donald Trump won election. And then you see three of the justices who were in this, this draft ruling, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Comey Barrett, they voted in favor of this. By the way, I just think for all the leftists, your Roe versus Wade court in 1973, those seven justices were all white males. But this ruling was issued or could be issued, it's still a draft, by three white males, a woman, and a black man. And of course, they're getting apoplectic about that. But we have seen these guys overturn the, the filibuster there. They're tr- they tried to get rid of the filibuster to ram through any piece of legislation. And they're talking about packing the Supreme Court And they're protesting outside the homes of Supreme Court justices after, for the first time in history, leaking a pre-decisional opinion. They're tearing down all the institutions. Their motto is, by any means necessary. And we're, we're heading toward mob rule because of these people who clearly hold the Constitution of the United States in contempt. I mean, that's what they did with Donald Trump. That's how Donald Trump came out of office and was through this mob rule, the changing of election rules that allowed for drop boxes and harvesting and and all these protests and the rioting. It's essentially they've changed the way things are being done in America. If if you don't like the law, just just riot, just intimidate people and you'll get what you want. And Donald Trump now looking at this Roe v. Wade draft ruling, I don't think there's any doubt that no matter how you think, Donald Trump was probably the most consequential president of the last maybe since Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, not only with all of the th- rules and laws that he passed, but now with his justices 
at the forefront in this opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade. Really don't want to keep bringing up Donald Trump, but for a long-term president, it's hard to even to express the impact that he's had on this country. It's an excellent point. Alito was absolutely right in in what he wrote, what he and the majority wrote in this draft decision. I hope it comes through because, again, these people are literally being threatened now outside their homes. Their families are at risk. But if that comes through, Trump will be forever beloved. I'm a little bit worried about this because, again, I agree with Alito's decision. Roe versus Wade was was a legal piece of garbage and a travesty. But without Donald Trump, it probably doesn't get overturned, maybe ever, because our our society is continuing to veer into, you know, cesspool of of narcissism and immorality. Donald Trump got that done. And I'm a little bit worried now that, you know, here we we go with, you saw how well his nominees did in Ohio, his, the people that he picked. This could help bring him back to the White House, Paul. It could. And look, you and I have said many times, I I really don't want him to run again. I wish he wouldn't. I wish he could be sort of the elder statesman of the party and allow some other people to run like Governor DeSantis, maybe Glenn Youngkin, maybe Tim Scott. There's so many people out there with so many good views and so much potential that he could get behind to support and carry on the torch. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how things play out there. And we will, of course, be covering it on the uh, midnight ride closely as uh, these midterms approach. Yeah. Final thoughts on this. Where do we go now? If this thing goes through, we see, I think we see the sorting of America continue. A lot of the leftists will leave. I think some of these people in, uh, in Texas are probably happy if some of these leftists leave. But the Southeast... I think Florida, though, has a constitutional amendment which protects abortion, but most of the Southeast, Texas, some of the Great Plains states, people will leave those places and maybe head to California, New York, New Jersey. Do you, do you see that happening? And, and what can we do until this de- decision comes out or even after to try to wield our political power? I think what we need to do is just continue to mention and pound away, and our doorbell's ringing. I think it's like our neighbors wanting to play with my kids, but that is, uh, you know, we are, just don't everybody forget, we are family members. I think uh, last weekend, uh, Connor had the dog barking in the background. So (laughs) we are right there with all of you and in uh, all of our different uh, priorities in life. But what I wanted to say was, as Republicans, as conservatives, we- This is until we get to the Black Rifle Coffee Studios or we get our own- studio, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, we need to continue to talk about the Constitution, the Federalist uh, style of our republic, and that we need to respect the constitutional order. If Congress voted to, to make abortion legal nationwide, I would not agree with it. Uh, it would not be my choice for a law, but I would respect it because it is the way our system works. And I think that's what we need to be talking about is respect for the system, respect for the Constitution as a document that's endured for 200 and almost 50 years. And that if we continue to adhere to those constitutional principles, that's how we will stay together and stay strong as a country. Excellent point. Uh, If you're listening to the voice of Liz Warren last week, or what Yamiche Alcindor said, or 
what Whoopi Goldberg said. We got to keep it civil. We have to stay. You can either go to that side and and hear the desperate shrieking uh, of that side, or you know we can be civil. I don't think we should ever be outside a somebody's home threatening their kids. But this is an important ruling for America. And whether you agree about it or not, I, I got to say that Paul's point there is spot on. We, we have to have a system where the rule of law matters and we are a constitutional republic. This does not end abortion nationwide. And if you want to kill your child, move to another state. Um, you will always have that option in America. Again, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the Midnight Ride podcast to, and to the attempts by big government to take away your constitutional rights. If you agree with us, if you like our show, please share it with a friend. Give us a five-star rating. We've seen a lot of more of those recently, Paul, and we're very grateful for it. And we hope to see you here next week on another edition of the Midnight Ride podcast. For Paul, I'm Connor. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye.